internet. This is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. This is the only podcast about revenge of the Sith. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm Shahir Dowd. And we got a special guest here. This is our special you guest. You brought him. Ivan Kander, is, who's, um, who does a lot of things. I'm going to try and give you like a full introduction. First off, hi, Ivan. How are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You're Skyping in from, uh, from Washington, D.C. and taking time away from your schedule, so we really appreciate you having on. And I really wanted to get your opinion on this. Well, I wanted to get your opinion on a bunch of these films, and it would be really interesting to get your opinion on the totality of Star Wars, mm-hmm. which we'll get into it in a little bit. But first off, I just want to introduce you. So... Ivan, I know you through um, shortoftheweek.com, where you're a writer there, and you write fantastic reviews, and I'm going to try and be non-biased about that, because Ivan has written about two of my movies, so I'm just going <laughs> well, to... Well, this is getting incestuous. And I have to say, he's an amazing writer who only picks classy movies for that side. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, no, no, I'll, 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 I won't say much more about that, except check out Ivan's re- uh, writings on shortoftheweek.com. I think Short of the Week and everything that you guys are doing over there is changing the game as far as short films go. Yes. I think you guys have upended the entire film festival route for short films and changing everything about it. So uh, if you're listening into this, first thing you can do is go check out Ivan at shortoftheweek.com. But that's not the only reason we have Ivan on. <laughs> Ivan does many things. So the first one I'm going to touch on is Lucky Nine Films. Is that correct? Have I got the name right? Yeah, LuckyNineStudios.com. LuckyNineStudios.com, where Ivan is a freelance filmmaker based in D.C. You're a motion graphics artist, a writer, director. You do a whole lot of commercials, that sort of work. But also, and I'm, uh, well, well that, that's correct first off, right? The, the <laughs> yes, commercials and that sort of thing. And then uh, the other side of it is he also makes films, and uh, there's a fantastic film he made called Pancake Batter. I love this movie uh, about, um, and I'm not too good with baseball, but these are minor league baseball players, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'm glad you liked it, because I think you're the only one, so that's good. What? Really? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just. No, I think it's fantastic. But then, I mean, so I would say, urge you to go check that out, but the thing that's kind of blowing up a little bit right now is... Uh, you just made a Spider-Man fan film called the Mi- Mi- Spider-Man Lives, right? The Miles Morales fan film? Yes, I did. And You're that, in good company, sir. Yeah, Matt <laughs> Kroll is a huge Spider-Man fan. He's a huge uh, comic book reader as well, so he knows all. He knows much more about this universe than I do. Cool. Yeah, I just watched it, dude. It's super fun. Uh, oh, thanks, man. I dug oh. it, I, and I like, I like that that's the first time we've kind of actually had a chance to see what what Miles Morales could be like uh, in yeah. in real life? Um, we'll have to talk about it off air, but like, um, but yeah. Anyway, thanks thanks for all yeah. the plugs. I yeah. appreciate that. Everyone, go check out. Well, that stuff. and this I haven't finished. <laughs> Whoa, there's one. Well, because the other. So it, it's not just that you're a great filmmaker, a great writer as well, but you also have another podcast called the Reviewed Podcast, where you and two two of your buddies. Now I've been on this podcast, and I'm terrible with names. I'm I've forgotten the name. No, um, uh, two, it's just me and two friends, and we talk about old movies. Um, yeah. So so it's weird because I'm on the only show that talks about movies right now. Right. I mean, so. I was going to call it out. Thank you so much, Ivan, for doing it because we're in some sort of weird paradoxical time loop that I don't really understand what's happening. But this happened fine. because I was on one of your shows where we did Terminator, and uh, and I was confused as well by the how this whole thing worked. It is kind of like a uh, a rift in the space time continuum. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but but the interest. So, Good so, thing iTunes transcends that. People can listen to all of them. <laughs> so um, go check out Reviewed because I've listened. I've been to a lot of these episodes. But the interesting thing is, is you guys haven't done Star Wars, and I figured Star Wars would be right up your alley. You know, well, the original Star Wars trilogy, I feel like, is um, one of those things where if you talk about it, it becomes uh, kind of like the Chris Farley show on SNL, where you're just <laughs> like, wasn't that great when that thing happened? Or wasn't that thing so cool? Like, there's, there's not I don't know how interesting it would be to talk about to be honest but you know these films I though I could talk about these films forever which I think is the great irony of the Star Wars prequels is how much I could talk about why they don't work Ah, and and, and, and in comparison but anyway sorry no 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 no. that's that's exactly why we'd like you're here that's why you're here um well, you know what, Ivan, uh, before we really get into this, one thing we've been talking to every guest about is how they came to Star Wars. Like, uh, you know, like what your impression was. Like, mine was a little bit different in that I really, I watched Star Wars once or twice when I was a kid and then rewatched them when the re-release happened and I wasn't a fan. I'm, and I'm still not really a super fan. Boo this man. Um, Matt, uh, your experience is, you know, just briefly... I mean, basically, just for, for your benefit, Ivan, the, I, I watched them on VHS, the originals, 4, 5, and 6, as a kid, like, religiously at my, like, grandparents' house because they had the copy off of, like, HBO or something. And then uh, I, you know, saw the pre-releases of the 4, 5, and 6, the re-releases, and I loved it. And then the, these came out, and they slowly broke my heart. And then kind of with this one, picked up the pieces a little bit again, uh, but not entirely. So Ivan, how do how what's your feeling on Star Wars? Where where are you at? What's your Star Wars status, bro? Uh, okay, um, so I came at it a bit late as well. I actually first saw them when they were released in American cinemas in 1997. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that, but yep. they actually repackaged them and added new stuff to oh, them. Yes. Uh, oh yes, yeah. that's, so, that's that's how um, I got them. So I actually watched them in a theater. My dad took me to see Star Wars when I was 11, and uh, when I saw A New Hope in theaters, it was one of the formative theatrical experiences of my life. Um, I remember everything about that screening. And I think I, I remember walking out of the theater thinking this is the best movie ever made. And, really? Uh, uh, at the re-release. This was the re-release. The, yeah. I mean, I'm a 12 year old kid. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, and it got me so invested in the Star Wars universe. And from then on, I was hooked and I didn't even wait for them to re-release um, Empire or Jedi. I immediately went to the video store and dubbed them on VHS and watched them ad nauseum. So, um, yeah, so this is one of those formative movies. This is like Jurassic Park for me. It's one of those formative, great cinematic right. experiences. Um, and since then, I remember getting very excited for episode one. And I remember buying tickets for my entire family when in 1999 <laughs> when episode one was released. Uh, my parents, my sister, everyone. Wait a uh, minute, you must have been 13 years old. You must yeah, be rolling. I, what, my parents what were you doing for work at that age? Um, I actually worked at my dad's office. But, oh, really? Uh, yeah, so. Um, nice gift. Yeah, and we all went as a family and I remember being so bored in the theater for <laughs> the episode one. Taxation I, didn't do it for you? But like, it's one of those things where like you don't, you're so excited going in, you, you're trying in your head to make it work, even though it's not. Yeah. And there, there comes a point where you look around and you're like, no one's having fun anymore. Like it was one of the oddest experiences seeing episode one in theaters. I was remember, that point the pod race? 
Um, I remember, <laughs> I, I haven't seen episode one in forever, but I remember a sequence where they're like underwater in the Gungan oh, sub yeah. or whatever yeah. like that. And yeah. I was, I, I, it just, I don't know. It was, it was so crushing to me as well. So, so at this point, uh, audience, you've heard us talk about two of them. You've heard the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And now we have gotten to episode three, the penultimate, the of- penultimate of the prequels, arguably my favorite of the prequels. Uh, the the revenge of the Sith. Revenge. Now, why don't you why don't you why don't you start us off as you have as the tradition has been so oh, far in the good. last two episodes. Oh, good. Read us the opening crawl. Okay. Episode three: Revenge of the Sith. War. The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader, General Grievous, has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. Yeah, so that's what's happening, gentlemen. Do you feel like the most interesting thing that's happened has happened in the crawl previous prior to the movie? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> um, yeah, when I saw this originally and when I saw it again, uh, there's a lot, there's more of a jump here yeah. <laughs> between from like one and two to two and now. Well, the, the chancellor is being kidnapped? Sure. And but but, uh, but but we know that the chancellor is behind his own kidnapping, right? Like we know that right off the bat. Yes. I don't think we do, do we? Well, okay, sorry to interrupt, but no, my, no, please. My, my big question about the intro when I haven't watched these movies in a while. Um so is General Grievous in episode two? Nope. So that's the thing. He seems like <laughs> such an important character, and yeah. I was like, why it just it seems He's very just, confusing. And and, and his his introduction and his whole existence in this film seems entirely arbitrary. He's just a guy, right? He's yeah, and yeah. not to mention Dooku's really only in like twenty minutes of of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, well, but Dooku's the big bad in in Episode Two, so kind of, but he's not there a lot. No. So, well, one of the things we've been talking about uh, in Episode One and Episode Two is kind of the general indifference the characters have to the events going on around them. I mean, is that your impression of of? I mean, I, and I know you just watched Revenge of the Sith, not not one and two again. But, you know, like, where, where do you come at it now, now, now that you've rewatched episode three, what's, how did that jog your memory? In watching episode three, and maybe this is just true for episode three, my, mm. my feelings about the prequels are that it feels like everyone just wants to get it over with. Like there's just this, it, it, every character feels like they're just going through the motions of how to get to the next point in the story because we know we have to end up with Darth Vader, be, I mean, with Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader. Yeah. And it just, it, everything feels like a means to the end to that point where if you go to the original trilogy, characters interact and have human interactions with one another and experience experiences and show joy and pain and love and in these movies it just feels like everyone's kind of walking through and everyone gives Hayden Christensen crap for being a bad actor and and so forth but I just feel like it's so endemic to the screenplay of all these movies that I don't think any actor could have made these movies good no you're absolutely right (laughs) Uh, the, 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 the weird thing is, yeah, I mean, yes, if I had to pick the worst actor in these movies, he would be it, but by no means is that his fault is by no means are these being awful, his fault. 
I've seen him good in it's, like in Shattered Glass. But he was like, pretty good. Samuel Jackson is awful in this. Natalie Ewan Portman. McGregor is <laughs> awful in this. Natalie Portman is awful in this. So like, the, it's it's obviously a directorial thing. Yeah, I think I think the writing isn't. The there. writing is bad, and the directing is bad because I mean, I, I just no actor in their right mind would make these choices for this. Like, this is not. This is not what I, I can't picture, especially, especially I can't picture every actor just making this choice themselves. Someone is telling them to do this. But well, I, I, oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. Ivan. No, I just, this, um, well, Star Wars, you can criticize, you know, there are certain clunky lines in the original trilogy as well. Like you could argue that Lucas is not a actor's filmmaker. Like mm-hmm. you could make that cinematic argument. But the thing about these prequel movies is that just every interaction just has a lack of authenticity. So it's just these characters telling you what they're feeling and, and none of it rings true. So, and, and I think probably the thing that you're referring most to is the, is the Anakin Padme love story, right? Like that, that, that is the most inauthentic, poorly written. I mean, we've talked about that in depth in clones in, yeah. in clone wars, but yeah, the- it's, it's, it's just hard to ignore because if the whole movie is precipitated that he's trying to save her life, because yeah. that that's his impetus for becoming evil is so that she lives. Um, it just doesn't work at all. So and, and his, you know, like like uh, like we were talking about uh, Qui Gon in Episode One, who is who is seems very little, you know, unengaged in the events that are happening around him. I, I feel like Anakin's commitment to Padme's life is is really, you know, it's a story invention. It's not a character driven moment. It, it you know, and, and I think we talked about this as well. Uh, in episode one with, uh, you know, I, I bring up uh, a quote from, um, I may have actually brought this up on your Terminator episode as well. Um, just recycling <laughs> your work. This is, this is pretty much my go-to for, for screenwriting, which is, uh, uh, a Trey Parker, Matt Stone thing, which was that, well, every scene should be, a this happens and therefore this happens and therefore this happens and therefore this happens. What I feel like that happens in the Star Wars universe, particularly in the prequels is, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. I don't know. Is that, is that kind of true to, to, to kind of what you're feeling about these prequels, or particularly Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess going... So, I mean, this is going to hurt a lot of older nerds, but I know the Star Wars trilogy, I feel like, is made for younger, like for kids. I think that... Yeah. I honestly believe that. Oh, and I, I am so in your camp. Yeah, and, and I don't believe, think that's a bad thing. I think that you can like things as an adult that are intended for kids in the Pixar Absolutely. movies. Um Uh, prove that but like so the original star wars trilogy i can think of so many things where i wanted to like pretend i was in that world whether it be the battle of hoth or endor or all that that those kind of things there are no moment or at least in revenge of the sis where i'm like i really wish i could play that opening space battle or i wish (laughs) i could be in the like whatever dinosaur (laughs) rock planet that he's in where he fights grievous uh obi-wan fights grievous so it just which is a cool design planet well, that's the thing about these movies is I think they're fascinating from a cinematic standpoint because um, I'm as someone who tries to make movies, I'm fascinated by how things are made. And I mm-hmm. look at these movies and there are so many talented people working on them, whether they be creature design or prop people or, you know, you know, CG artists or whatever. And it's like all these hundreds of thousands of people coming together to create a product that is so inept, not an, um, or bland. Bland is the word. Like, it's yeah. just so bland. It's failure by committee. It's like. Everyone's doing well, a really good job at their individual thing, but the people that are supposed to, that you're trusting to glue all this shit together, 
to make it like a cohesive thing that everyone will love. Like, I don't care how, I mean, I do care when I break it down like we're talking about, but like an average moviegoer isn't going to care how cool uh, a, a set looks if the dialogue is atrocious. Like, it's just this weird sort of like, there's tons of people doing a million things right. Yeah. But there's a bunch of people, a few people in power that are doing so many things wrong. It it undermines it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's strange as well because because you know Ivan, like you just said, there are so many cool sequences, and I feel like Revenge of the Sith is where the nexus between what the capacity for CGI was able to do yep. in this particular universe gets really good. Let me let me just say this real quick. So the opening battle you mentioned briefly, Ivan, uh, I think you're absolutely right about the sort of magic of Star Wars and how like it is for kids and you, you don't have those moments of wanting to pretend and I don't think kids would either. But I will say that opening battle, um, I had it right in my notes. The I, I when I was watching it this time, I really liked it. Yeah. And now, but this is the weird part about it. I really liked it, and I thought this is really cool looking and fun. But I had no idea what the hell was happening. <sighs> that's I just, the problem. You yeah, have that's a very no big problem. idea what any of the characters want in that sequence. And nope. I mean. And I'm so jaded with CG nowadays. Like all I do is I see that opening shot, which is arguably the most cinematic thing Lucas does in the whole movie with yep. this long take of like yeah. moving from mm-hmm. ships and it, it, which is impressive as, as from a CG perspective. Yep. But at the same time, nowhere did I be like, Oh, that's a real thing happening. I'm like, Oh, that's a cool computer shot. And, yeah. and I think that's a huge issue that there's nothing tangible and when they get to the tangible stuff it's awful because it's the guys <laughs> acting and doing things. And, yeah, and, and that and that opening shot isn't as allegorically powerful as the opening shot to a new hope which is that you see this this mm-hmm. tiny thing on the frontier being chased by this enormous there's yeah no yeah. i agree and there's something that happens again i keep harking back to the sort of magic of the original trilogy when you saw space battles in the original trilogy obviously your brain sees that there's something real cuz they're models and it's sort of tactile you know you could sort of touch it but i think also in conjunction with that there is something to be said about when you're dealing with something as crazy as a space battle like a huge space battle because we've never experienced that as a species in real life, I think the more you can drill that down and simplify it to its core of what it sort of is, the more engaged and the more character you can kind of put into the people involved. Whereas the one in, in this one, in, in Revenge of the, uh, of the Sith, there's a trillion ships doing a trillion things and you're following Anakin and Obi-Wan, but like they're just in a jumble of nightmare and just weird crap going on. You don't give a shit. In any of the other space battles in the original trilogy, you know kind of where everyone is. There's not as much going on. Even, the, I mean, in A New Hope, it's like Red Leader, this is Gold Leader, Gold Five, standing by, or whatever the hell. Like, we see these faces of pilots and, like, sort of everyone involved outside of, like, a couple TIE fighters here and there. It's just not as 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 chaotic and you can you can really focus in on sort of what's important as a, as opposed to just seeing a huge swath of, of just CG prettiness that means nothing. Well, I think, I, I mean, you know, uh, I think what I'm getting at is that it, it is impressive the amount of stuff we can have on screen now. You know, like the, the, what what that opening sequence is impressive is in is in showing we can have detail. You know, like all of a sudden we've got these vulture droids that that pop up that do this. Which thing. I thought were neat. Yeah, you know, and you've got droid. You know, like droids being killed, and you've got like all these kind different kinds of ships. But you know, like like you just pointed out, and I've pointed out as well. We don't know who General Grievous is. We've just been told that Senator Palpatine's been kidnapped. We're not exactly <laughs> sure what the state of the war is and who's fighting who in this sequence. Who are these people? Yeah, you know, like, it, it's it's really unclear where we are. 
It's um, this is a huge problem in the movie and it comes up later when they visit various places. But in my understanding of what, see, the thing is the threads are here, I think to make a good movie uh, because Mm. there's this idea that the universe basically succumbs to a dictatorship or uh, to almost basically, I compare it to like the Nazi regime essentially Mm -hmm. because everyone is so devastated over this war that's happening and they basically give, you know, powers to someone who doesn't deserve them and, and corrupts and, and so forth. But you never actually get this feeling that the world is so desperate. Like when they go to, um, Coruscant, Coruscant, it still looks beautiful yeah. and it should look shitty and it should look like, it should look like, it should look like bombed out, uh, you know, England when the, during the bombing raids of World War Two, or it should look like, you know, people should be starving and there should be, it should be the sense that there is no hope. So that the whole world is forced to accept this new democracy yeah. or not democracy, this new dictatorship as a consequence of that. Then the, the empire forms as a consequence almost of uh, 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 as a means to an end because people are so desperate. Yeah, we're told a lot of this or not even told that we don't even really say anything like of the suffering, but they're just like, this is really important. Because it, it is. There's a war. And you're like, okay. Like, now, you never see it or really hear more than that about it. I'm going to take a slightly unpopular stance here, which is that I, I completely agree with you. And I know, uh, I know exactly what you're saying, which is that basic story structure would dictate um, that if you wanted to illustrate the point that um, the entire universe is succumbing to desperation and that's what leads to the rise of the empire, you need to see that kind of desperation happen. Now, my unpopular point is, and this is possibly giving Lucas too much credit as a filmmaker and too much credit as a subtle filmmaker, is that as opposed to um, the rise of Hitler's regime, this feels more, and remembering what year this came out, this is 2006, I believe? Yes. Um, This is on the verge of the second Iraq invasion. This is after the first Iraq invasion. And there's a line at the end of the film uh, that echoes a George Bush line, which is that, you know, which which Anakin says, which is if you're not with me, you're you're my enemy, which is which echoes that Bush line. uh, If you're not with us, you're against us. So you're saying it's like this idea that the U when the U.S. went to war with Iraq, we here at home didn't feel the effects of that at all. Exactly. Exactly. Now, now I I can buy that point. But but I think that's giving too much credit. to. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, like if if you're to read the film uh, allegorically, as the right, you know, like as somewhat analogous to to what was happening uh, geopolitically with the Middle East around that period, then that would make slightly more sense. But it makes poor story, you know, like you know, like it doesn't. Uh, sto- screenwriting in real life don't have to converge one hundred percent. I guess and, that's my argument. I would rather just watch a better movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then when it comes to Star Wars, I don't need it to be an allegory for a modern political situation. I just want it to make sense from a character standpoint and from a story standpoint. And I just, well, I, I, and this goes into larger issues of the movie, and you kind of touched upon this. But the friendship between Obi Wan and Anakin is so bizarre because all they do is talk about how good friends that. How much, how good of friends they, they are. Yeah. They don't even appear things. to be good friends. Nope. They are, ne- they, I have never, like, there's never a scene where they're just like hanging out, like yeah. being like friends. And it's like, you think that there would be a scene, like Han and Luke in the original trilogy have moments where they're like, actually look like they're genuinely friends with one another. And you and, feel that friendship change over time in those yeah. films. 
And it just doesn't happen in this movie. It's all them do like over oh, every line is like, remember that time we got out of that slick situation? Yeah, back on saved Planet you X? ten times, eleven. Oh, that time yeah, on didn't. whatever the hell didn't count. And and you're like, like, uh. Wouldn't it have been more interesting if we saw him do that? Or yeah. like, I don't even, know. Just, even though in Attack of the Clones, we've seen them go on an adventure together. You know, like at least one adventure together. Every adventure they've been on, honestly, has been in a ship or a vehicle that we see. And and, and it also, you know, like uh, this may come back to the problem of. Anakin's performance, you know, like arguably, I don't think Ewan McGregor does a great job, but he's he's arguably a little bit better suited in this world. He kind of does better, um, but but the problem is is that every time every time we've seen Anakin and Obi Wan go on an adventure, Anakin has just been this like petulant little kid who's complaining about how he's not getting his dues, and, and so every adventure feels. A little wonky, and then, you know, so so the very first moments that happen in this film are so clunky that 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 raid on General Grievous's ship with Obi Wan and and Anakin like basically going up the elevator and down the elevator, and then Anakin jumps back in and goes, and, you know, and Obi Wan draws his his uh, lightsaber and goes, oh. It's you. It's, it's just, it's so awkward. It's well, so terribly done. And um, I'm actually cribbing, um, what I'm about to say, I'm stealing from, the, uh, you guys have watched the Plinkett reviews of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. we, we yep. talked about Red Litter. Yeah. Uh, because I think they're actually brilliant because yeah, they're, they're, they're incredibly insightful beyond being um, kind of weird, but they're, they're amazing because he talks about how this opening sequence is just an incredible mess of tone. Yeah. Like this idea that, they're joking around and they're saying quippy things like there are no stakes to anything that they're doing. Right. So there's never a sense of danger to anything that's happening. And that's a huge problem because like, so he has this line, which I hate where uh, <laughs> Obi-Wan's like, uh, don't worry, uh, Sith Lords are our speciality. Like he's oh, like, yeah. And, he, yeah. and it's a terrible line because it, it belongs in like a swashbuckling, like serial type film, which I know Lucas is a huge fan of, but yeah. it totally de-elevates the situation about what's about to happen like he's not worried we as an audience aren't worried so there's never a question and then it, it's juxtaposed literally with a guy getting his head chopped off which is yeah. it is the weirdest combination of tones and style and they have the slapsticky element with the elevators and with r2 doing like the the oil spill stuff so it's very awkward how and, it all and it, plays out yeah we we had this problem with uh well we've had them with all three of the films but it's is is that that complete tonal incongruity between what the film is trying to do and what the film is actually doing now. And and the thing there is that in Attack of the Clones, Count Dooku is the big bad who just, you know, like who who cut off Luke's arm. Uh, Anakin's, Anakin's arm. Anakin's arm. Well, I mean, what? They're, they're similar. That's yeah, crazy. He, he cut off Anakin's arm and then and suddenly. So so this is the rematch. And and Obi-Wan is treating it like it's uh, it ain't no thing, you know, like it's it's, it's not going to be a big deal. It isn't going to be a problem at all. So it's, it, it's it's not only poorly written in the way you're describing it, it makes no sense from like an entire series arc. You know, like the last time we saw Obi-Wan and Count Dooku fight, it went really badly for for Obi-Wan. <laughs> and I guess the great contrast is, I mean, Lucas does this thing in the trilogy, which is uh, in the prequels, which is really annoying, in my opinion, where he's constantly like winking at the uh, the original trilogy with mm -hmm. the arms getting cut off and that kind of thing. But so when Luke 
at the end of Empire loses his arm to Vader and has that humongously dramatic moment. The next time he meets Vader, it's a very dramatic beat. Yeah. But yeah. here it's treated like he's a swashbuckling guy and there's going to be no problems and I can do anything I want, that kind of thing. So it just doesn't work. Must be Tuesday. Yeah. Like, eh. <laughs> oh, God, I hate it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, so, okay. But, but uh, the one thing I will say is that is that unlike episode one and and somewhat in episode two, there is somewhat more of a linear sense of tra- a linear trajectory of events. Well, things in start, Revenge we, of the Sith. We start being shown things that make the story make it, more sense than it ever did. Like Ivan, I think you said it best, which was that it, you know w- there are things that are happening that shoehorn us into getting to Darth Vader. And it's weird because we've taken three films to get there, so we feel like you should have enough time to like explain these things. But at least some of these events seem to make sense, except no, for the fact... I, I agree. Like, If you were to present to me, beat by beat, this script to me, I'd be like, this makes sense structurally. It's just we need to write this so it's interesting to watch. Yep. And yeah. so it, it, it feels like he understood conceptually even from episode one, how to get where he needed to get. Like he knew about how he had to have these separate, this droid army that ends up fighting against this clone army, which becomes the basis for Stormtroopers. Like he understood how the pieces needed to come together. Like he, he just couldn't get it to go together so it fit nicely uh, or not fit nicely. So it, it, it smoothly got there uh, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He's a great dungeon master, yeah, uh, but, <laughs> but not so much, not so much a storytelling. But I, I mean, I said this in Attack of the Clones as well, and and you know, obviously Lucas is part of that that the you know the movie brat generation of the Spielbergs, the Coppola, um, uh, De Palma as well. And I think, you know, what you know from what I've read of that period of you know those guys all hanging out as well is that Coppola was really the ringmaster of, of this whole troupe. He was the guy who really like everyone looked up to. He was the most cinematically. Um, uh, well versed, he had created a trilogy of films, arguably with one tr- with one part of that trilogy not being very good. Um, you know, the Godfather trilogy, and I think Lucas with with the prequels is really trying to make his version of the Godfather trilogy, and we see it in Episode Two with the trip to Naboo. You know, really, it, it feels like when Michael goes to Italy, to Sicily. And, and falls in love with that woman only to have it tragically fall away. And then in Revenge of the Sith, you know, the, 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 the falling of the Jedi Empire really feels like almost the end of the Godfather or even the, the Cuba Godfather sequence where, where Michael is taking out all of his enemies. You know, it, it, it feels like that's what he wants to do, but he's in no way as... Equipped? Elegant a filmmaker as Coppola was, at least with The Godfather Part 1 and 2. Um, you know, I, th- that's kind of my feeling about it. You know, like, like you said, structurally, this makes sense. And even structurally, some of it's quite good. You know, like sure. you would say the fall of the Jedi's is handled pretty well. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can, I can see that from a story um, point of view, at from least. A, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Go <laughs> ahead. I'm, I'm just. This movie just makes me upset uh, for Ryan, and because well, this, I, I feel like this movie gets a pass out of a lot of the tri- uh, the prequel ones. Like, well, it's the best of the prequels, and you know, there's some cool moments in it. But I still feel like this is fundamentally flawed, just like the other two are. Like, I don't. Th- I think they're all 
I all bunch them together in my head because they all feel like they have the same issues and whether or not they're more egregious or not, I feel like fundamentally there's a problem with how he made them cinematically. Well, so yeah, like the, I think, I think you're absolutely correct that this is, I mean, I, like I stated in the beginning, this is my favorite of the trilogy, but also and it, it's, let me preface that with, it's my favorite in the trilogy until I think about it, because I have this sort of, <laughs> I have this sort of the way I look at a film, like if a film is just bad and, or like meh, or whatever, I, I'm like, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad movie. Whatever. It's stupid. There's stupid things. But if a movie has moments that are truly great to them, and then it squanders them with bad with it, or worst worst case scenario, if a movie is 90% brilliant, and it either doesn't stick the landing, or it messes something up in the middle, or just there's something off it, I feel like I'm far harsher on those films, because I'm like, you're so fucking close! Like, you obviously know how to do this, you just fucking shot yourself in the knee! Like... So I this movie I feel like falls more in that category where it's people do give it a pass when they don't really sort of think about it but the second you're like okay here's a bunch of great stuff man you're kind of showing you can do great stuff what why isn't the rest of it Great. Great, yeah. Uh, this is funny. I'm I'm watching Crow right now, and his his veins started popping in his neck yeah. when he was talking well, no, about like this. A perfect example for me, because we gotta gotta go through the movie a little bit, is like so when they finally rescue Palpatine or whatever, and they're leaving, and they run into General Grievous in the in the in the in the mm-hmm. control room or the the bridge, uh, and they have like a little mini battle, and that's sort of neat. Like, there's cool moments. Like again, we were talking about before, like people that design characters or sequences. Like Grievous does something awesome that we've never seen in a Star Wars movie, where he, he breaks. breaks the glass because he's a He's basically what a heart and some eyes. I don't get what Grievous is. He was a he was an organic being, but he's been. How do we know that? Modified. You don't. It's in the Clone Wars. (laughs) Uh, Don't worry about that. Uh, So he gets to jettison into space and like walk along the outside of the ship, and everyone's screwed. When I saw that this time, I was like, I forgot about that, and that's really smart. Like someone designed a great action sequence based around characters that were well designed, even though they're not presented to us in a great way. Yeah. Um, but now let's let's move on to a little bit further. So they rescue him and they get back to Coruscant and they're all, yay, we did it. Hooray. And we have Anakin's first interaction with a now Prager's Padme. How did she get pregnant well, as well? Now listen, listen, this is the interesting part. I wrote this down. So Pad, Padme uh, or Anakin says, and I quote, he's been on the outer rims for what feels like a lifetime. <laughs> and he comes back and Padme is pregnant. And... And and obviously there there's this weird thing where Jedi's apparently can't have children or whatever, which yeah. I think, which I also think is dumb. But anyway, um, yeah. like why can't Jedi's? They're not freaking monks. Like exactly. I, I, don't, I, I don't get that. But anyway, the, well, it's the attachments thing. I think they lump it into like you're not supposed to have any attachments. Yeah, and but that they're also the not. They're not like Vulcans either. Like it's weird. But anyway, yeah. Um, well, yeah, but like my whole thing with the pregnancy, real that if he's been out forever. And what she probably what like two months because she's not like crazy showing yet. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know. Uh, like, wouldn't you? Qu- I mean, <laughs> just from a human being standpoint, he's been gone forever, but now she's pregnant. Like time uh, timeline wise, that just bugged the crap out of me. Right. And or the fact that she's obviously pregnant and she's not Anakin. She can't let people know Anakin's the father. So how? What does she tell people? Like, oh, yeah. um. I'm, it, I'm, I had sex at a bar one night. It's, and her, it's her bodyguard with the eye patch. Yeah, it's just oh, that. Oh, Jay Lagaya. Yeah. Jay Lagaya. He's a New Zealand actor, by the way. Oh, jeez. I knew you'd sneak one of them in Oh, here. my God. When, yeah, Attack of the Clones. There was so many New Zealanders in it. T- I know, all, I'm saying every, every one. Isn't, isn't the actor that plays all the clones a yeah, New Zealand Tim actor? Yeah, Tim Morrison. So, so <laughs> I, I mentioned this in Attack of the Clones as well, is that is that I, I watched this in New Zealand, obviously, and when because the young boy who is obviously going to become Boba Fett opens a door, 
he, there's a certain New Zealand way of talking, but he was like, is your father home? And he goes, yup. Which is like just a really classic New Zealand thing. All and right. there was this like collective snicker um, in, the, in the movie theater. Well, when the, we watched um, it. the thing that's, I mean, this is interesting because uh, the, the, another reason the movies, these movies aren't good is uh, what they do is Lucas is kind of playing this weird kind of fan service where he, um, he feels this need to shoehorn Chewbacca in there for no fucking reason. Right. He yeah. feels a need to make Boba Fett a bigger part mm-hmm. of the, probably the collective history than he ever was intended to be. Yeah. So because, because Boba Fett for some reason has become this fan icon and even though he, but he dies, has no role, Boba Fett, you know, who's the boy has no role in the prequels as well. He's just there, right? Well, well but it's like his or it's like his origin. Yeah, yeah, but wouldn't it be like again, like why does why does Boba Fett have to be in these prequels at all? He doesn't. Like there there is there a reason for that to happen? I don't remember Attack well, of the no, Clones all that been, much. We've been making a sort of analogy throughout these last two podcasts where um Lucas made these movies because fans wanted more Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, that's been the, and obviously Lucas likes money. That's, we, we know that, but they, he made them because of that. So he, when he finally got basically bullied, I think into making these movies, he's like, all right, cool. Well, you want this? Great. Here's what I think this should be. Oh, you guys love Boba Fett. Fuck it. We'll throw him in here too. Yoda's best friends with Chewbacca and Darth Vader built C-3PO and like all this bullshit stuff because he was just like, yep, this is it. You guys want this, right? I would argue that, and this is what isn't what fans would want, honestly. And I kind of hate fanboyishness, and I, I, I so much because of this. Mm-hmm. But I think these prequels would be so much more interesting if it was about Anakin and Obi Wan, and obviously Yoda would be there. But there would be no, there wouldn't be nearly as many references yep. to the original trilogy. I, I think it would make such a better movie. I also think that Anakin, I, I hate how these movies make Anakin like this Jesus figure yeah. um, to the point where, so Luke is obviously the protagonist or at least the audience's entryway mm-hmm. into the Star Wars universe. He's the, you know, it's the hero's journey or whatever. And yeah. that's cool. But I would argue that he's not necessarily, especially as the movies go on, where he's not totally the focal point of the series and the prequels never get off of you know, in being in love with Anakin, like yeah, he's, every, weird, he's everything they, in these movies. All the three movies are propelled entirely by him so much so that they spend an entire movie with him as a freaking 10 year old kid. And yeah. it's just, it's bizarre in the sense because it would be so much more interesting if it established, it was more about maybe even if Obi-Wan was the main character yeah. of these three, of these three movies and he, and it showed him losing his best friend mm-hmm. to something. I think that'd be such a more compelling story. So a hundred percent. And like, I feel like it, to, to that point of sort of Anakin being the center of these entire universes, all characters sort of feel like throughout these three films and especially here just transformative to the point where it's convenient for them to be how they are not based on their character traits they've established but to how Anakin can react to them like at that moment Padme in this film is a completely different woman than in the first two (laughs) completely like there's no I don't see a glimmer of anything of her character from the first two not that there was a whole lot to go on but like it's completely different all of a sudden like we were talking about before like they've mentioned how good of friends uh, Obi-Wan and uh and Anakin are but now he's a father figure yeah Obi-Wan's a father figure now to to Anakin and like I feel like everyone sort of revolves around even the emperor gets more evil just conveniently enough right mm. around the time he's doing his shit when his, fa- when his face is melting <laughs> yeah well we well, can get to that so going on continuing on a plot just going through the plot here things I don't understand about the movie so 
they're all Jedi, right? Can't they sense that the Emperor is fucking evil? Like, they should be able to There's, somehow I think they talk about that. the fact that they're powers. They're losing it. Yeah, the powers are diminishing. They, they casually mention once or twice throughout these movies that their ability to converge with the Force is lessening, and they don't want anyone to know. And that is something that, again, that story, infinitely more interesting to me than any of this. Like... I think it's an interesting story, and it's just not told. No, very it's not well. told at all. It's yeah. not told. There's no story. It's just they they mention it again frivol- frivolously as if it doesn't matter when that matters a great deal. Uh, um, and I just I think it'd be. A, I mean, uh, if there's one thing I like about this movie, there's not much. I actually <laughs> think that Emperor Palpatine is the most interesting character in the movie because he actually has he actually has goals and motivations, and you know, like mm-hmm. you know what he's trying to do at least, and. You know, whether or not his lines are so overtly evil, it's like, hey, dummies, this guy's the evil guy. He not only looks like a monster, but he's obviously the most evil person in the universe. But from a character perspective, at least he makes sense to me. Like, at least I get what he wants and all that. Yeah. And I I would have really liked to see a film which explored the dark side in a more compelling way, because I think one of the you could argue one of the flaws of the Jedi is that they're not willing to embrace the dark side as, you know, the yin and yang of the universe, you know, um, which would, you know, arguably make them more powerful and much more, you know, if the Jedi's entire goal is to understand and be harmonious with the world, they need to accept that the the dark side is a force in the world and that they, they you know, because right now they're, they're completely dismissive of its, of its existence entirely. So I would have liked to have seen Senator Palpatine, like, there, there's a little hint of it when he talks about Darth, uh, Paul, Paul, uh, Plagueis. Darth Plagueis, who, who we presume was his master, whom he killed as a, uh, right. uh yeah. you know, like at a some point, yeah. uh, but, but it, it's not compelling and it's not like, you know, the, the movie I keep thinking about is Zhang Yimou's film Hero, um, which has, you know, kind of, which goes some ways to explain how totalitarianism rose in China, you know, and tr- tries to give it a justification, even though it's not like, it's not politically right to do so. You know, they talk about the formation of the, of the, the empire being formed, you know, the Chinese empire being formed as a, as a necessary way to like combine force, you know, like for, for the entire mm-hmm. Chinese district to, to, sure. to combine forces, you know, like when Senator Palpatine's plan starts falling into place, he just sounds like a crazy douchebag, you know? And it's like, I'm not, you know, like, like the point you made earlier about uh, Coruscant not being this place that's plagued by war. We're not really sure what he's doing. Like how bad are the Jedi, you know, like what, what is, what is, what does he want? This, This film does something to the Jedi that the other two kind of hint at, but this one really just hammers home that the Jedi are, it's funny because there's a line that says only Sith think in absolutes. Yeah. Uh, no, dumbass. Yeah, both, Jedi both of you fuckers think yeah. in absolutes. And it's funny because it kind of turns the Jedi from these cool, justice-seeking, badass space knights into just like, almost like a religious zealousy. Yeah. And obviously kids aren't going to see that maybe, and that might be why it's okay to let it slide. But like you watch it as an adult and you're like, well, there's more to it than this. There's- it's, it's also poorly handled. Like like the, the issue of the Jedi, you know, we only see really three Jedi and their, their take on this kind of, fa- you know, like 
their failing power is just kind of like, yeah, like you said, they just kind of mention it once they or twice. They don't care. And they don't care. And it's like, you know, we don't really see them failing ever, you know? And going back to this whole idea of things working from a plot perspective, I do like this idea that there was once tons of Jedis yes. and that they were all kind of murdered in this massive purge almost and yeah. that we only have ones in hiding at the start of the new trilogy. I think that's actually very a compelling idea, but it's just, I, it doesn't feel like, again, this is this idea of the pieces being right just not smoothly moving into one another correctly yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, yeah something i did want to talk about i know we're kind of we jumped forward with all the murder of the jedi and we can get to that but when when the conversation when anakin and palpatine are at the silly uh space water opera yeah um the sperm and egg thing the sperm and egg <laughs> opera yeah uh, um i i i, I like that i know it's funny when i was when i've watched this the first time i didn't like it when i watched it this time like you kind of said, Ivan, like the emperor clearly has a goal and he's the only person that's smart enough to move forward with a goal. So like he's fine. But the moment he starts cackling when his face melts, I'm like, let's let's get to that. So I want to kind of trans, I want to sort of talk about those two moments between each other because he comes off as sort of calculating and, and clever and manipulating Anakin to be right where he wants him. And then when, you know, Anakin's flip-flopping back and forth between the Jedi Council and him, and finally when Samuel L. Jackson, a.k.a. Mace Windu, uh, walks in to arrest Palpatine. Uh, That moment is so weird because he... I'm I'm jumping around a bit, but Mace Windu flip-flops in five seconds. First, he walks in. He's like, we can't. You're going. You're under arrest. Like, this is what we do. (laughs) And in five seconds, he flips out and tells Anakin that he's too dangerous to live. Yeah. I I think this just goes back to. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, so I think it'd be a lot more interesting. I actually don't hate the conversation with him. And he's talking about how uh, he has he, uh, the empire. The emperor has this power to yeah. somehow like heal the, or pre- pretend people from dying. She and that, yeah. yeah. I think that's kind of interesting. And at least mm-hmm. it gives as thin as it may be, it gives us some motivation to Anakin's eventual it's turn. A, I don't, I don't, it's a red herring that. for him to chase. Yeah. 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 But that's fine. But, that whole sequence, again, this should be a huge moment and it feels so inert on screen. And this is a large issue where I think like this whole movie, except for a couple major action sequences, feels like it's people in rooms talking or it just feels so odd to stage that scene the way it's staged and and how quickly the other Jedis bite it that are with him. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the, his two ancillary Jedis that yep. are dead immediately. It's just like, I don't understand. Do the other Jedis just suck and that Anakin and Obi-Wan are like the best Jedis ever? Yeah. And it's just well, very the confusing. More, the most midichlorians, but, 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 but the other thing is <laughs> I, I, I never bought bought in the first time, and I don't this time either, Anakin's change to the dark side, you know, at that moment that we're describing where Mace Windu dies, is so weird to me. Like, so basically Anakin's motivation for changing to the dark side is that he's doing it for love because he wants to save Padme, right? Because he's had visions of her dying in childbirth. He's had visions of her dying in childbirth. Now, we all know he's kind of a creepy rapist. You know, like, he's a weird, creepy dude who, like, says the weirdest things in front of her. But his dreams have come true. The dreams about his mother were true. So, Mm -hmm. like, he has precedent at that point. But then he goes on to murder children. 
Well, let's get. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get that, to that. And, and and you know the conversation where he talks to talks to um, Senator Palpatine about uh, the power of the dark side to sustain life. That's an interesting conversation. It wasn't to sustain life. It was to, to cheat death. To cheat death. There's a difference. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> um, that's an interesting conversation. But but. But Anakin has not seen any evidence of this to be true. Oh, no. He's just, he's praying and hoping. He's, he's being just, manipulated. And, and then when he does join with him, he's like, so can you help me cheat death now? And he's like, oh, we'll work on it. Well, yeah, you we'll know? work on it. That's cool. That's, In the meantime, could you go kill these like much, little kids? I think it would have been, I mean, again, this is, I think it would be a really cool sequence where Anakin is actually, uh, searching himself to figure out how to cheat death. Yeah. And he ends up discovering this in Sith readings or text or something and that's what starts him down like he should be the one to start himself down that path and then he should somehow run into the emperor who takes advantage of that and so yeah. forth no you're um, absolutely right but yeah. it would have been a really cool sequence to see the emperor somehow like stop a, like bring a plant back to life that is dying or something mm -hmm. to give yeah. Anakin some form of contextual hope that this is possible exactly and Instead of being like, no, I'm just going to give, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> well, because you know, listen, we've already, look, I, uh, Ivan, Ivan, I think we've started some good fan fiction here. We, <laughs> should, uh, we should keep going this and, and submit our version for. Well, listen, <laughs> step one, steal underpants. Step two, step three, profit. That's what, <laughs> that's how plans work, right? Right. Yeah, like, so it's the same thing. Oh yeah. Promise this thing. Oh, we're going to do this. We can cheat death. Step two. Oh, no, no, sorry. Step one is murder all the children. Oh, step gosh. two is. And then step three is we cheat death, yeah, right? Oh, That's the, uh, again, we're jumping ahead, but the sequence where he, <laughs> I mean, I have a kid, I have a, 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 a almost a two-year-old son now, mm -hmm. and the scene where Anakin, I get that he's supposed to be evil because Vader's supposed to be evil, but that seems like, it seems like such a jump in, like, I, I don't buy that character moment at all. I think it's oddly disturbing for a movie that is supposedly intentioned for children. And it's <laughs> so, also, internal logic seems to... You know, like internal narrative logic seems to like fly out the window there slightly. If your motivation is to save a life, but requires you to kill twenty children, would twenty you do children, that? you might, you should by all means have some conflict about this. But he doesn't seem to. Well, the interesting well, part is, I think, I think, you know, we can we could wax ecstatic about like what we think Lucas is trying to do here. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think he's like, what's the what's the worst thing we can show in this movie so we get that he's really evil? Yeah, no, and, that and that's makes what sense. he's doing. But like. If you look at it from his, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to break it down from like uh, a, an, an actual character written well, not Anakin Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Like it would be, it would be something along the lines of like he's just so because he at the end of the when he when he helps kill Mace Windu out the window, uh, Mace Windu out <laughs> the, the window. window. Nice. Um, ooh, is that yeah. foreshadowing. <laughs> um, they like he seems super like tired and defeated and then like as he's marauding through sort of the rest of it even when he gets knighted as Darth Vader like he's just sort of like like it's it's less of it like I, I noticed his sort of walk was weird like it, it was like a shamble kind not like yeah. a shambling but like his shoulders were lower and he just sort of looked like zombie like yeah. and it was almost I, I think the choice he was trying to make was he was just so far down this path that he just didn't give a shit anymore do I think that they pull it off no, and, like, and we haven't seen that pro, pro, uh, you know progression down that. Path. No, no, no. It just, he's just, he's been just whiny, like, whiny, whiny. Like you've seen him think he deserves something, and then it's funny. Everything he whines about and thinks he deserves, the dark side sort of gets him. Yeah, but oh god, it's it's just it's, it's just a roundabout way and not a smooth way of doing so. Yeah, uh, something we haven't talked about. 
We talk, and we have to sort of, I think we got like uh, 15 minutes or something like that, 10 minutes left. Um, we didn't talk about what's going on with Obi-Wan, which I guess it's not important uh, at the, at the with General Grievous and right. all that other stuff. I do want to say, again, a moment, General Grievous, I think, is one of the best additions to these prequels, where the moment, and I did this when I was a kid seeing this, and I did it when I was in the theater, when he pulls out the four lightsabers. Yeah, that it's he, a cool moment, I agree. And, and that, I don't know, that, that one shot where he's walking in slow motion and spinning and hitting the ground, you know the one I'm talking about when yeah, he's yeah, yeah. walking forward? That looks so much different to me, that one shot, than anything else in this movie. And I don't know if it's how they did the CGI or what they sort of did or whatever, but I was like, that moment snaps my attention back to the film every time. And it doesn't keep it. It doesn't do anything. But I just, that moment is when I think Revenge of the Sith, I think that moment. Well, um, it's weird because... Um there, but the other issue in that sequence is again, Obi Wan is never appropriately frightened. Of no, what's yes. in front he of backs him. up real silly. Yeah, it, it, and, he, and he could have killed General Grievous at any moment during that buildup. It's that it's that funny like Indiana Jones moment where it's like just shoot him. Yeah, you know? well, uh, th th that's a huge issue. But like he when he does that thing where he like does like the four lightsabers all at once and twists them, it'd been really cool to show Obi-Wan actually scared and jump back and be like, oh, crap, this isn't going to go well for me at all. And yeah. it doesn't happen. He just stands there. And it's so weird. It's, it's, it's that unengaged Jedi thing that they're all, do you know, that starts with Qui-Gon in the first episode. We're like, they're so powerful and so all knowing that they're indifferent to any danger around them. And this is another issue where if that sequence had been so much cooler if it was actually on a set and it yeah, wasn't yeah. this giant, like, uh, jumping ahead, how much cooler would the end fight sequence be if they actually fucking shot that in the mountain somewhere? Like, they, yeah. like they yeah. went to New Zealand and, <laughs> and, shot in Mount Doom. and shot in Mount Doom and, and had them, like, scrambling and struggling over actual rocks and instead of what they do is this weird video game thing where they're jumping from platform to platform. Yep. It's so Running weird. down the inhibitors. And well, like well this so this is, an, so this is uh, you know, we've been talking about the, the series um, through three episodes right now and, and I think the first, you know, episode one is clearly the poorest in terms of CG and in terms of the the ability of the team to pull together sequences. But I think episode three is where, you know, again, the nexus between what they're, what they want to do and what they're capable of doing kind of reach a, reaches, you know, a Zenith point. But unfortunately that Zenith point is that it's the closest to a video game than a real sequence, you know? So, well, everything in this kind of is, they fight with the Senate, like Yoda yeah, and yeah. the emperor Fight with the Senate. Have you guys seen that robot chicken? No, I haven't <laughs> seen the robot chicken. Have you, that. Ivan? No. So this is, I won't go into it too much, but basically it's a call from Darth Vader that you never hear to Emperor Palpatine. And it starts with him talking to other people in, in that conference room. He's like, and then I threw the Senate at him. Mm. The whole Senate. <laughs> and it's just like, it, it hammered back to me how silly silly that was. Just it, it is, it is like, I think like the scenes uh, uh, between... Yoda and Anakin when when Anakin's explaining his vision uh, to Yoda and it's kind of lit like a film noir film you know like with like really dark shadows coming out of the window yep. I think that's like that to me is like an example of the CG being used in an artistic way you know where light it's not just rendering what everything we can see it's also it's putting things in shadow and the the final fight between Obi Wan and 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 Anakin uh, in Mount Doom is in is CG Mount Doom is is if you if you were invested in these characters you would it's pretty cool you know like it reminds me of um you know in Lord of the Rings uh, the the first uh, encounter with the Balrog 
on that staircase, you know, like it, it's a pretty cool little sequence. Uh, and this would be a cool sequence. You know, there's a lot of destruction going on. Unfortunately, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, that, that, that fights and this is the problem with all the fight sequences in the movie. They're incredibly, they're almost too cool. Like they're yeah. just too choreographed and too neat looking. So there's never a feeling or thought that someone could fail or get hurt. And it just seems so odd about how some of them are staged. And I would have, that sequence could have been half the length and far more intense if it was staged differently, in yeah. my opinion. So. Uh, and even, even sort of at the beginning and end of that, like the, the, when Padme shows up with Obi-Wan, cause Obi-Wan sneaks on the ship with Padme to get there. Uh, she, it's kind of interesting because Obi-Wan, if you really think about it, is kind of responsible as well for Padme's death because he sneaks, hold on, he <laughs> sneaks on the ship because she won't give up where Anakin is. So he sneaks on that ship and then lets her go out first and then, An and then Anakin doesn't get violent until he sees Obi-Wan. He makes the mental gymnastics jump that they're together and they're against him, so he attacks her. Well, hang on, but are you saying that Obi-Wan is responsible for Padme dying of a broken heart? I'm saying, I'm saying, <laughs> which he's, is he's so dumb. <laughs> he's responsible. That whole thing is stupid. But the, I'm saying he's responsible for putting her in a fucking crazy amount of mortal danger. I, I just think it is so odd from a character standpoint that we've established that this man is willing to kill children to save the women that he loves, supposedly, and immediately he force chokes her. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it would be, it's just, it's so bizarre. Like, it, it doesn't it, work at all. And, 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 and so when we're in that final fight, and like, so Obi Wan has cut the legs off. Off, uh, off Anakin and he's burning by the mountains. You know, like, and there's you know, some great lines. In yeah, that. You were, you were supposed to be the. You're supposed to be the chosen one. It's something, whatever for, for the for the Senate for democracy. And I'm saying great, ironically or sarcastically. Uh, and then the uh, the, the visually, thing. that's a cool. Uh, look, I like that little sequence because it's like oh, that's really. I was like, this is the Star Wars I want to see. But there's a moment where that whole conversation is supposed to come to a head where they're like, don't you see, Anakin, the Sith are evil. And then Anakin goes, from uh, my, pers from from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. And you're like, well, yeah. Like, it's just like just exposition being spat at you. And he's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> at that moment. No, I don't know. Was he? Is, is he on fire? No, no, no they were floating. They no. were hovering on one of the video From game platforms. From my point of view, <laughs> they, were, they were hovering on the Mario platform. Yep. They oh, from I made a Mario level. Maker level just like that. Yeah. Um, Very but yeah. So, so that's you know some great stuff there, and then you know we Visu all only visual, right? Only visual, and then we get some moments that are effective. I mean, it's cool to see Darth Vader breathe for the first time the way he does. That's a, I think that's effective. I mean, yes. that's, that that intrigues me from a nerd perspective. And the shot of the mask coming down, I think, is interesting. Over his face. I like yeah. the point of view shot. That yeah, was cool. exactly. But the that's second, the, the second, it's so funny because you're absolutely right, and this goes back to what I said when you do something like <laughs> really right, and then you counteract it by doing something really wrong, followed so, by the yeah. no sequence. Well, yeah. not even the no, like the no is just the icing on the super shitty cake. Like it's like it's. Like like the, the <laughs> diarrhea icing. Yeah. Um, no, mm. but like even when like when the second like when he breathes and it's that mask, you're like, holy shit, that's so fucking cool. And then they pull out, and when he sort of gets up, he does yeah. that drunken walk thing. He does, it's, it's all that's a CG Vader. Like oh, really? the whole Vader is CG, and it didn't need to be. No. Yeah. 
So like then that whole thing and the no, no one. I've said this a couple times, uh, Ivan. No one can say no in this movie correctly. Everyone <laughs> screams and, and clones. Padme right in the beginning says no, stupid. In this one, the Emperor even when he's fighting Windu is like no, nah, <laughs> and you're like God. So the final no. Obviously, is the worst no. But it, that should be a moment that should be so cinematic, and it's shot from this boring angle yep. as we watch it. Yes. Just it's shot from a wide master where he just walks into like it's shot like how I would shoot something because I would want to set up a green screen and not have to track the footage later. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I would make sure that the camera was locked down, Amazing. and like how much cooler would it be if the camera was rotating around? Like it's just it's so weird that the, if there's any time for there to be like camera movement or a different angle that's the moment well, it because, just because it's such an ineffective performance you know that's the, the the reason to do you know like interesting camera movement is to enhance a performance or or you know in some cases to make a bad performance good and this is just an example of like oh boy like yeah like you said figure something out to make that scene work because what you did don't work at all yeah so then Padme has the babies, has little baby Luke and little baby Leia. This is, so th- this that, is, that is funny, though, in a world where everyone's named Anakin and frickin' Qui-Gon Jinn. She's like, oh, I'm going to name them Luke and Leia. I just find that funny. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, it's very true. And then uh, the, the, it's so every time I watch this, I do this or someone who I'm watching with my girlfriend did this. When you see the, the baby sort of wet nurse or the Uba. Yeah, yeah, Uba. yeah. It's we like bo- Wally. We, we both go, yeah. It's like these old <laughs> shovels going in for a bad uh, uh, anyway uh and, and then padme dies of a broken heart it's like that um not avril lavigne who is the the woman who is a singer the daughter of a confessions of a broken heart uh lindsey lohan when she had a pop album oh my yeah. god that's a that's deep a cut. deep cut right there uh wow yeah that was stupid and the robot telling him that that's why it is oh yeah the robots we don't understand why she's dying but she is yep <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that doesn't work either, but anyway. No. <laughs> and then the babies get separated, which is a smart move. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The whole trilogy, prequel trilogy, comes to a head at um, at the two mo- the, 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 the sunset of the two moons. Yeah. And, the sunset and of the two suns. The sunset of the two Let's suns. Not- now, and first off, again... Cool that Joel Edgerton's in, in the in the shot. You know, I know, from I the noticed gift. that that Joel. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Yep. It's got to yep. be one of his earliest movie roles, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah, I think it's one of his big big early ones. Uncle Owen. Um, and then, but it's 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 amazing to me how shitty Tatooine looks and how shitty that like two sons look compared to A New Hope, where it looked like really awesome. You know, like A New Hope that that the two moons. I I watch A New sons. Hope. Two sons. Two sons. I I watch that and I'm always like, how did they do that with like no digital technology and then I watch how they did it with digital technology I'm like you guys have done this better before you should go back to that I think it has to do with why the footage looks and the cameras that these movies are shot on I mean the original Star Wars trilogy is shot and there's a great film grain to all the the, the look of everything it feels weathered and textured it feels like a western wood and then you get to this movie and I I think they shot this on one of the earlier one of the early Sony digital cameras and it, it just this is before I mean, we're at a point now where cameras, all cameras look amazing, but like there's... This, this was an interim time. Exactly. Yeah. This, this is when the Panasonic the Genesis rate. was a big camera. Oh, this 2005. Is, yeah. This, yeah. And this is before the introduction of Red One but, and but all it, that kind but of it's, stuff. I mean, even then, like you have to think back that like Zodiac was shot on the Viper, for example, and that looked pretty great. 
Um, this was shot on the Genesis. Um, the problem here isn't the camera to me. You know, like a lot of people talk about cameras being the issue, but no, you're like, right. Yeah, you know, in the hands of like Steven Soderbergh, who you know, like pioneered the red with Che. You know, like the red looks amazing. He wouldn't make these choices. He wouldn't do he, yeah. the things that Lucas was trying to do for cameras that weren't sort of really do be able to. The do problem that. is is what's in front of the camera, and right. and what's in front of the camera is a green screen, and it's just it's a it's. It's problematic because you're trying to end on one of the most iconic images from your, you know, from the from the original trilogy, and you're doing it so badly that that's the problem with that scene to me. Yeah, and this is calling upon Lucas's desire to be like, see, it's the same. You get it? It's the because yeah. this happened and, once and it happens again. Yeah, and so he does well, a couple more hand waves, and then we'll wrap it up. He does the he's like, have the droid, have the droid's mind wiped, have uh. the, the protocol droid's mind wiped. But I think he also, he must have wiped Obi-Wan's mind because no, no. Obi-Wan doesn't remember Hold the on. droids. I think droids in this world are so, like, per- superfluous, like, no one gives a shit. Like that's The what one that was saying. made by Anakin is just superfluous? Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, I love how they wipe 3PO's mind just because he can talk, but, like, they don't wipe R2's mind. <laughs> it, just because they can beep, like it, like, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, no, he can remember, but the talky one, don't let him do it. <laughs> and then also, what was the other thing? Um, oh, when uh, communicating with Qui-Gon, when Yoda sort of half-ass, uh, like, explains how he can let Obi-Wan talk with him or whatever. And then Ewan McGregor gives the worst response ever, Qui-Gon! Like, it's... <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. And he's a good... A- I know he's a good actor. And he is it's a just, great actor. And it's just crazy that... Anyway, sorry. So, yeah, two sons, and then the prequels, uh, are finished, guys. Oh my god, we did it. We, we got, got through. through the three. Now, um, uh, Ivan, I, I in the first episode, uh, I talked about the fact that uh, from a from a batting standpoint, to me, Star Wars has possibly two good films out of six. How do you uh, feel about that? I, I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, are you talking because you think there's Jedi's really flawed? Is that why you state that? Or? I'm just, I'm just not a, not a huge, I think they're okay. We haven't okay. gotten there yet. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. But, but I think, I think it's, they're like Empire is clearly probably the one that we'll talk about being the best film. I haven't watched it yet um, for, for these, for these rewatches, but so far the four that I've watched so far, I've not enjoyed. I, um, I, well, I, 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 I think that. I think the original trilogy are, I think those are three solid movies. I think they're Agreed. entertaining. I think they're great crowd pleasing action science fiction films that bridge the gap for a more mainstream audience. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think the three prequels are just terrible movies and I, I, they're not good. But I mean, if I, here's the thing I'm going to show my son <laughs> the original trilogy and I think he's going to love it. I'm never going to show him the prequels because he's, gonna, <laughs> he, it didn't well, he's just not going to, I just, I, I don't think he'll like it. I honestly well, don't think he'll enjoy watching it. I think, I think there's a great oatmeal so, cartoon where, where a dad is showing his sons the original trilogy and the son goes, Oh, I want to see more. And, and is there more? And the dad's like, Nope. <laughs> just turns off well, the TV. We were talking about this in the, in the Phantom Menace one, Ivan, how, how kids, today and the future generation of sort of media uh, consumers are going to treat Star Wars and for your kid and for Shahir's kid their their movies that they're going to like really start remembering if they're continue to be good are going to be these new ones they release every two years that's true for and sure. like I, I, right Right now, it's the Clone Wars for kids. Like, that's what they, they're introduced to Star Wars, and then if they're interested, they go watch A New Hope, or if their parents show them. And, you know, I, I have a certain amount of anticipation for, obviously, the new Star Wars film that's coming out. I think that the people behind it understand they yeah. get why the, yeah. these other movies don't work. At the same time, like, I'm not going to be the guy there on midnight, yeah, opening night. I, I just, I just, 
I don't have the energy anymore. Yeah, if you remember, the trailer for Phantom Menace was pretty okay for its time. It was pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, And so this awesome trailer, nah, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, damn you, George Lucas. I mean, look, I like, I like uh, JJ Abrams. Or JJ Abrams. I think he's a. I think J.J. Abrams is a great filmmaker, but not a great story. Uh, not sorry, not a great writer. So I think if he's working with other people's physical screenwriting material, I think he can make great stuff. So, but also I, I, you know, for him, for him, I think he's a person that, yeah, like like you say, he can take franchises and reinvigorate them. I think he did a great job with Star Trek. I think he did an amazing job with Mission Impossible. Um, you know, so, so I, well, that's I, the best I, Mission Impossible movie. It is so. the best Mission. Hey, hey. Thank you, Ivan. Yeah, I think we all said that, though. No, we didn't. No, no we didn't. didn't. I, when I listened to your episode on that, um, I believe Shahir was the only one that said that three was the best. So. Really? What did I say? Four was the best? He said four was the best, which Boom, I disagree shakalaka. with. So uh, three knows, is the most entertaining listen, of the... Hey, hey, Fair enough. Hey, this guy, Ivan, he knows he his knows stuff. His stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just well, stroked Shahir's ego, and that's yeah, how I get on. Th- thanks, Ivan. <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, uh, no, no, seriously, Ivan, thank you so much for, for coming on this journey with us. We've had you know a couple of these now, and it's always great to hear more people's opinion. Even, even though we had you watch a movie you probably didn't want to no for sure yeah i'd love to be on again sometimes absolutely love to have you back hey um i know shakir did a bunch of plugs for you in the beginning but is there anything else you want to plug or any places Uh, where people can can find you follow me on twitter at ivan kander that's i-v-a-n-k-a-n-d-e-r so awesome awesome uh ivan do you have any final thoughts about the prequels or 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 even just revenge of the uh, revenge of the sith um, no, I'm good. I think I said my piece. Okay. And you know what's funny, Ivan? We normally do these final thought things. For this, there is no final thought. It happens. Because, because it's just that meh. <laughs> it's just meh. We've reflected on this enough. Next time, we are going to move forward to the golden age of Star Wars. <laughs> Episode 4, A New Hope. Please tune in then, everybody. Um, Yeah, this has been the only podcast about Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I've heard there's another podcast called Reviewed. I don't know about it. I don't think it exists. Again, timeline skipping. I I can't do it anymore. Yeah. But um, Ivan, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, yeah, until next time, guys. We're, we're just going to keep watching Star Wars movies. <laughs> uh, contact us at OnlyMoviePodcast at Gmail. Our Twitter handle is OnlyMoviePod. You can see me, my work at ShahirDowd.com, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com, and Matt Kroll. Oh, yeah, Matthew uh, Kroll.com, K-R-O-L. Uh, also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z at Instagram, and Emperor MSK on Twitter. And, yeah, we'll see you next time. No! no! May the force be with you. No!